What's up, podcast listeners? It's your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and this is Cut the Shit, Get Fit, episode 259 with Stacey Dawkins. She is another yoga instructor that is taking over the world and has a better understanding of how the human body works more than what the 200-hour course provides for most yoga instructors, and she's one of those special, special people in this world that's making the industry better for both yogis and fitness professionals, and I was just excited to be part of her journey in this one little hour of an interview, so without further ado, here's Stacy Dawkins. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your lovely host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me for the first time today is Stacy Dawkins. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Thanks for having me here, Raph. I'm excited to be here. No problem. So I always like to start the show with super easy questions. So the first easy question is, what is the current book you're reading or listening to? Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> so, uh... Well, I'm reading a lot of school books, so I don't okay. have as much time for free time books. But I will say one that I've loved. What is it called? It's um, The Polyvagal Theory in Practice by Deb Dana. Okay. What's that about? It's about, so it, it dives into um, kind of a, an added understanding of the autonomic nervous system mm-hmm. um, and just another, a new sort of new theory that's evolved in the past couple of decades. So to keep it simple, I'll leave it at that. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah, like I always ask this question, and like now my to read list is like so large. So now I have another one to look into. But yeah, yeah, it's like I, I love reading. Like I, another good question is like, do you like ebooks or like an actual physical book? Mm, I like both actually okay. it's hard to say I go back and forth I mean I have periods of and I really 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 love having a book in my hand yeah but also when I travel a lot and so I also love not lugging around too many books with me and it's fair kind enough. of nice to yeah okay fair I enough like um so the next easy question is what is the current tv series you're watching or are you one of those people who don't watch tv at all Mm, I'm not very I don't watch a lot of TV and it's just I'm kind of weird with it I like random occasional things so like I I loved the Stranger Things series (laughs) but I I, we dive into it and we watch it like in a few days and so I'm like sad it's already it's already done and over with but um, so really I'm really sporadic and really random I love uh, documentaries and just random Random things, but I don't have an ongoing series that I'm always watching. Okay, fair enough. Um, The next easy question is, what is your biggest pet peeve in everyday life and in the fitness and health industry? Mm, Everyday life. Gosh. (laughs) Well, let me start start with the fitness and health industry. I think, you know, um, one of my, my pet peeves is righteousness and um, gaining information and new knowledge. For, for example, if, if someone's learning something new and then all of a sudden they had this new understanding of a new theory 
whether it be physical or psychological. And they're touting this new theory on social media in order, in a way that makes everyone else wrong. Okay. Um, and so I have, I have a thing with that. I think if we're as fitness professionals, health professionals, as we're, as we're understanding more and gaining new knowledge that, you know, we can do it with a sense of graciousness and sharing information and enlightening versus wronging people. Um, so I think that's my, my biggest pet peeve in the fitness and health industry today, since it's so socially driven, socially, social media. I mean, every day, gosh, what is my biggest pet peeve every day in everyday life? I don't have an answer to that one yet. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know why, but it's like, it might come to me soon. (laughs) Well, for me, like, I hate when people are late for an appointment. You know what I mean? Like, especially the ones that do it so often and they'll, like, either text you or email you, like, oh, can I come, like, an hour later? And you're like, no, come on, we set this. Just get here on time. Like, everyone else could do it in the world. You can, too. True. Yes. That. Okay. So that makes me think. That makes me think of one for myself. And okay. it. And I don't know. It. It bothers me. But it's. And it's for myself as well. Like it's not just at others, but what I see in myself. And it's this uh, automatic inauthenticity. Like you're at the grocery store and you check out. Like, oh, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. When actually you're not doing really fantastic. Yeah. And what's going on? And, oh, not a whole lot. Well, there's a whole lot of shit going on. <laughs> you know. And so that automatic fake thing that we all do like that bugs me (laughs) i I think it's also like a cultural thing because like i was reading um what was it the book called um the subtle art of not giving a fuck yeah and uh he was talking about when he traveled to russia and went on a date and quickly realized that all russians just speak their mind and he said that when he went on a date with this one girl like 10 minutes in she's like yeah you're boring i'm gonna leave now (laughs) so it's like i was like oh that's kind of it sucks but i kind of like how they're directed like say how it is yeah Yeah, there's not all all the wasted time and um yeah it is interesting cultural interesting cultural thing and i think it has a big impact and in so many ways on for sure kids and, and things so yeah um, so without us like just talking randomly for like a full hour, let's uh, do a little intro of who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry in the first place? Yeah, so I let's see, um, where do I begin? So I I had I, my children are older now. I'll just say I have three children, and um, they range from twenty three to nineteen. And so when they were little, I um, kind of went through motherhood had was pregnant and nursing babies for many years in a row and then really wanted to jump out into my own physicality and and get moving in that way in my life. And so I started doing a lot of cycling. So it led to me being a little, or not a little, really obsessive about uh, road cycling. And I had gotten into some competitive, competitive racing and things like that. And after a while, came up against uh, some physical issues. I had a lot of chronic back injuries And so from there, I sought out yoga. I honestly, I didn't like it at all at first. Um, I was like, I don't know what people love about this practice, but I don't really like it. And I tried different classes and found one that I loved. And it happened to be a flow style of yoga that emphasized uh, breathing patterns along with movement. And from there, it just kind of uh, escalated. So I, I really loved it. Like anything that I love, I dive into it obsessively and ended up learning more and more, teaching 
we opened our first studio in 2005 and we, meaning my husband and I, we're in the business together. So we opened our first studio in 2005. We now have three yoga studios in the Dallas Fort Worth area in Texas called Yoga Project. And that's what we do. So we both do that full time. Uh, on the journey along the way, we, we started training teachers um, like a lot of yoga teachers that own studios do. And so we started that as well. And so we also travel. We teach a lot of uh, programs internationally and all across the U.S. doing um, different sorts of uh, primarily teacher programs, but also uh, student immersions having to do with meditation, mindfulness, and yoga. Okay. So I'm going to try to unravel all of that in the next upcoming yeah, questions. Yeah. But uh, I'm kind of curious, like, what got you into cycling in the first place? Uh, well, um, I was one of these adolescents that was not very physical. I was kind of like, I think in my inside of my head, I wanted to do something physical and I felt strong, but I didn't have the support around me or the encouragement that I needed to leap into athletics and things like that. And so I always kind of had that hidden desire within me. And once I, you know, I, I had my children and I spent a lot of years really dedicated to, to them and, and, you know, raising babies. And I was witnessing my husband on this. And meanwhile, going to the gym every day and getting up at 4 a.m. and working out. And I was a little resentful and jealous that like I wasn't in that mode. I needed that so badly in my life. And so when I started going to the gym, I really did not know what the heck I was doing. I just got on a treadmill, lifted some weights, just pretended I knew what I was doing while my children, all three were crying in the nursery. <laughs> um, but I eventually found someone invited me to a spin class, indoor cycling, which I immediately loved. And like for the first time, I just experienced feeling strong. I felt strong in my body, which was something that I'd never really felt throughout my younger years. And so I loved indoor cycling. From there, it led to some friends saying, hey, you'd love riding outside. And that's how I got into to riding outside. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. What would you say, like, how, how did you start getting your back pain? Like, was it from, like, mm -hmm. overuse in cycling? Or was it, like, an ongoing issue for a while? Well, I'd had a little bit of chronic stuff going on already. Um, I had some uh, disc inflammation, spinal stenosis, some of the really common things that a lot of people get. And then being on the bike for sure exacerbated it. So being in that, you can imagine that uh, road cycling position where you're holding the drops of the bars and the back is sort of flexed and rounded. And so being in that position for long periods of time is, is not a good thing for anyone who has disc inflammation or, or lumbar disc problems. And so it, it was both. I had it a little before, but then the cycling really exacerbated it. So I was spending a lot of hours on the bike. Yeah, you, usually most cyclists do because I used to cycle quite a bit and I was like, you know, every Saturday and Sunday morning, you're out there for three to four hours yeah. in that hunch position, and you're like, yeah. why is my hip flexor so tight and low back hurting? Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and then going into, like, how you kind of discovered yoga and having, you know, some back issues, like, did you find relief? Because I find sometimes people will go to yoga because they have low back pain and it doesn't get better, and then they're like, mm -hmm. oh, what the hell's going on with me? Uh, totally. So what happened at first is... And I, I just tend to be type A with everything that I do. It's shifting a little bit, tiny bit as I get older. But 
Um, I went into yoga and with the same perspective, I was type A about it. I didn't really have, I felt I was, I was just jumping into some classes at the gym, uh, random different gyms, different spaces. And I didn't really have any like expert instruction, um, which, you know, was a group class. And so maybe it wasn't called for, but I also just went in without paying attention to my body and I did make my back worse. So it did not get better at first. It got worse um, because I, the way of the way I went into the practice, but from that experience, I kind of stepped back, and it was really the impetus to me becoming a self-researcher, a self-studier, wanting to learn more about my own body and my injury. So I dove into learning as much as I could about what was going on in my body. And from that space, I kind of tuned back into different yoga classes and realized that it just took my own body awareness, self-awareness to be able to move in a way that was beneficial. So definitely you can't just jump into yoga and it's going to make you better. But if you have some understanding and maybe you land with a teacher that has some understanding, then it can definitely, it can definitely help those injuries, many injuries, I, I feel. Okay, fair enough. Um, the next thing I kind of wanted to get into is like at what point during like your yoga transition did you like realize that you wanted to become a teacher to yourself like what kind of drove you into that direction Mm -hmm. so yeah as, as soon as I started experiencing some personal benefit I was starting to build my own personal narrative and experience and I had some relief physically I was starting to at the same time kind of on accident uh reaping the benefits of the mindfulness aspect of the practice. And I was just feeling, I didn't quite understand at all. And I, I still don't quite understand at all, but I was starting to gain my own personal experience. And from that space, I just wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more. And I, in any time for me, as I look back now over my life, anytime I'm wanting to learn a lot more about anything, it kind of starts to coincide with teaching and so that's how it happened. I just wanted to learn a lot more. Actually, too, another kind of um, logistical thing that was happening, I was teaching at gyms, and I, well, that kind of steps, that kind of goes a little forward from your question, but from teaching to owning a studio, I was teaching at gyms, and uh, I really didn't want to own a business. I didn't want to own my own studio, any of that. I was not business-minded at all, but I just wanted my own space to teach in. I was having uh, just different rules and things that um, I, I wasn't too good at following, and so I just wanted my own space to teach in, and that's how I stepped from teaching into studio ownership. Okay. Now now I'm kind of curious on, like, a business question. Like, what, mm -hmm. what, it, what does it take to have, like, a successful yoga studio? And I'm <sighs> kind of, like, asking this personally because I work at a gym with a yoga studio, and we have so many different instructors from all different backgrounds, and I'm always kind of, like, I understand the gym side, how to run that business, but, like, for a yoga mm -hmm. studio, completely different. And I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's something, if you'd asked me this, like we go back a couple, uh, five year increments, it's going to, the answer would be different at every, every period of my journey through the business of yoga. It's always changing and evolving as I learn more, but you do have that side of 
just gym ownership. So the logistics of, you know, just getting people in the door and meeting the bottom line and making a profit and those sorts of things, marketing, um, yoga, you know, and I guess it's the same as fitness. We always joke, my husband and I were like, we sell something that takes willpower and that's the same as fitness, but we sell something that takes willpower and it's not like selling donuts or pizza and we'll laugh on, on rough weeks. We're like, I told you we should have just opened a donut shop. And we laugh about that, but um, not really. We love what we do, but I think it's really similar to gym ownership. It's really similar, but you know, and, and probably similar to how the structure of athletic trainers work within a gym. So I think the, the whole teaching, position works really similarly. You have teachers that come in. Um, you know, we've we've really morphed into training a lot of our own teachers because we have just specific ideas about the philosophy that we hold at the studio and things like that. But I think it's probably really similar to a gym setting. It's just that it's a higher cost point. It's like you're not, you know, a gym, you can have these gyms that are open all day. People have their own keys to get in the door. And so you can spread that cost out with more membership, but at yoga, it's not the same because you're not, you don't have ongoing classes, you know, that are, everything requires a teacher unless you are one of these studios that just put a recording on and open the door. Um, so I think the cost point is different. It's, you know, it's, it's more expensive to, if you want to hire good teachers and, and pay them and, you know, you're not having this automatic machine running all the time. So I think that would be the main difference. Okay. So what do you do to, like, keep a good yoga instructor around? Because I find at the studio where I'm at, there's a lot of, you know, contractor yogis that teach in different studios all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious, like, do you see the same thing or do you, like, try to keep that instructor with you only? We, you know, so we don't have any sort of um, non-compete clauses or, or any contracts the teacher has to sign to say they can't teach anywhere else. But we do make it very, we're very vocal and clear in our, before we hire teachers about what we, what our aim is. Because we have three studios and they're close proximity, we typically have the luxury of hiring someone and giving them what they need as far as how many classes they need. And so we, we really take a lot of time um, making sure it's a good fit. And I mean, we don't hire a teacher unless we have a six-week mentorship program with them prior to hiring them. And it's kind of um, exaggerated, but it's almost like a six-week interview for them and for us. We want to make sure it's a good fit for them. And so we really take our time feeling that out. We, you know, I, I think that a lot of studio owners, gym owners will go by like, well, who's the most experienced teacher who's the best teacher has, you know, strong skills. That's who I want to hire. We kind of see it differently and we see which person has the most integrity and who do we think will really serve our, our clientele and our community of teachers that we already have. So we kind of go by their personal, their personal um, ethics, their integrity. We kind of, you know, make sure it's a match all the way around. And then we know that sort of by osmosis, the teaching, the skillful teaching just happens being in the, in the community of teachers that we have. We have about 30 teachers on staff. And I'll say too, and it's ongoing, you know, I'm learning more and more how to be a a better mentor, um, a better leader in the structure of the business and keeping really open communication, um, you know, checking in, things like that. And then we also try to offer financial incentives to our teachers as well. We don't try to, we do. They They have an opportunity to teach workshops 
for with anything that they're interested in and the and their the payoff is really great so they they might take away seven or they will take away 75% of their earnings of any workshop they want to teach at the studio and so as much as they want to as much as they're motivated to they have a space to to make money and so that's important we know for our teachers and so we just do the best that we can to give them what they need and to have really good relations with them so now how do you divide your time between the three studios like how involved are you in the business <laughs> with employees and contractors and everything like that yeah, so that, that has really changed as everything over the years. So in the very beginning, it was me doing a lot. Um, as my husband transitioned from his full-time work into full-time into the studios, um, then my my responsibilities and roles shifted with his support. And then as we grew, as he and I grew more and more in teaching these trainings and then added on me going to school now, we've had to really shift a lot just of our business to get more and more help. And so we actually have um, a few um, studio managers that help. We have someone that helps with a lot of the um, client interaction. You know, so I don't answer any emails. I don't answer any phone calls. I don't schedule the teachers. We have someone else doing all of those things. We have someone taking taking care of the nuts and bolts of the, of the studio locations. And so I'm more of big picture creative. Um, so not only am I in the hand of, you know, creating content for our teacher trainings, but kind of big picture design and creating content for programs at the studios, um, just kind of, you know, being able to step back and oversee how things are flowing, which is, has taken a lot to get here. I mean, I definitely had my hand in the minute details for, for many, many years, but we're now just getting at this space where we can kind of zoom out and, you know, really be, in my opinion, more in the role that we should be in to um, kind of step out and zoom out and see see how things are working rather than always having our nose in the, in the daily details. But we, have an, we just have an amazing team doing most of that for us. All right. Um, so let's kind of switch gears from business to uh, meditation. It's a huge switch up. Because uh, I don't think I've had anyone on my show talk about meditation because primarily all my guests are kind of like, more on the science base, more coaches, mm -hmm. more doctors, but I would love for you to kind of give the 101 of what meditation is and how can someone start? Mm -hmm. Well, um, just to address um, just the comments of, you know, you have more science based and more yeah. uh, coaches and doctors. My, um, my hope is to bring more awareness to the fact that Meditation practices, complementary um, alternative adjunct therapies are, are, are scientifically based, a lot of them are, and becoming more and more so, and also being more and more acknowledged in the medical community, um, which I'm super passionate about, and that's why I'm really passionate about the yoga world, I guess you could call it, like upping their game on understanding science, science and um, how these practices are scientifically based and being able to differentiate between ancient wisdom and, you know, scientific findings and being able to articulate them and share them. Because I think it's so important. Um, and I know I, that's a lot, but I just wanted to address that one statement yeah, that you sure. make. So I'm, really, I'm really passionate about that. Um, but meditation, you know, my, my thing is that you, there's so many different ways. If we were just to Google meditation, you're going to come up with all kinds of crazy shit and different things and like people, and it, no, I, I say no wonder sometimes people turn their nose up at that word, um, which is my, 
my experience with the non yoga world, like, Oh, meditation, it's so fluffy. It's so, um, out there, but I, there's, let me just say that if you're going to look it up and try to learn about it, there's many different things you're going to see. I'm very passionate about the practice of mindful awareness um, because it, it's a specific way of practicing paying attention. Um, some of the uh, some of the scientists in the forefront of teaching mindful awareness, Dan Siegel is a big one, um, and John Kabat-Zinn is the one who you'll learn. You know, you would find more correlations with the term mindful awareness, but it just means paying attention in a particular way in the present moment and with no judgment. And so for anyone who wants to start practicing meditation in a way that is correlated with the, the benefits that science is now proving, it's just practicing paying attention. It really is. It's just, And there's many different ways to do that. And I'm a big fan of finding what works for you. I don't think it has to be in any specific way. Um, there are all of these amazing apps these days, um, all of the different meditation apps that I think are all fantastic if that works for you, but it's really what works for you to practice paying attention. There's benefit to just getting up in the morning and setting a timer for five minutes and simply practicing breath awareness. There's benefits to, you know, learning more about mindful awareness meditation at workshops and programs and things like that, but it can work at a really simple, really simple level. Yeah, and I think, like, for most people who, like, how you said, kind of, like, think meditation's kind of fluffy, I think most of the time they don't really, they haven't, like, dug deep enough into it. And, like, for me, like, when I train clients, like, it's a harder sell to be like, okay, we're going to meditate before you start your workout compared to, like, we're going to learn how to breathe with your diaphragm and I'm going to get your hand on your belly and I want your belly to only move and not your chest. And now they have something yeah. to focus on and they're yeah. like, why is this breathing thing so hard? And I'm like, because you suck at it and we need to work at it. And then yeah. that's when I start introducing them to, like, where my gym is, like the yoga side. And I'm like, if you go to the really, really easy classes, 90% of what you're doing right now is the class. And then they're like, oh my God, maybe I should start doing yoga. So there's ways to kind of convince people that are kind of like, I would say ignorant when it comes to meditation, what yoga is, is just finding a better, like common ground to kind of make the connection. Cause there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff out there that works amazing, but you can't really prove it in science. But it's like, if it's making you feel better, you should probably continue doing it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, there, and there is, like, if we look at, there is a lot of science connected to um, stress, you know, the whole yeah. cortisol, cortisol cascade and how thought initiates that, um, you know, reaction that begins at the HPA axis, the hypothalamus into the um, endocrine system of the body. So there is a lot of science about how our thoughts affect our stress cascade. And there's a lot of science connected to how specific breathing patterns affect the vagus nerve, affect heart rate variability. And even for someone who's going into just, you know, maybe they're trying to change the aesthetics of their physique and they're trying to gain muscle mass, well, there's science that shows 
you know, the correlation between the stress response and the ability for the body to heal and repair, aka build muscle, how all of that is correlated. So I, I'm really passionate about taking the practice of awareness, mindful awareness, into even like the, the work that you're doing and the type of training that you're doing. It's it's this getting people to learn how to pay attention to their own bodies. Um, you know, instead of being so outcome-based and I'm only focused on you know, what I'm going to look like at the end of this or, you know, whatever the outcome goal may be, helping them as a coach or a teacher, skillfully helping them get into the process-oriented practice, like helping them to feel what's strengthening, what's moving, how to engage their upper back, how to engage their lats, you know, versus just do this thing. Okay. So, it, you know, I, I think that it can be a mindful awareness and meditation really can translate to everything. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing I'm kind of curious about is like, is there different forms of meditation? Because I remember reading, I can't remember who the author was, but um, they knew the benefits of meditation, but they just had a personality where they just couldn't sit still or anything like that. So they would have just like one song in the background constantly on repeat for an hour while they were doing work. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. So I'm kind of curious if there is other types of meditations out there. Yeah, so I think there are many types of meditation. And again, um, you know, I, I, I differentiate between meditation and a mindful awareness meditation. You know, if we just use, if we look at the broader category of meditation, I mean, there's anything from uh, music meditation to gratitude meditation to um, all different sorts of mantras and just depending on what tradition you're looking at. But then mindful awareness meditation as its own category, again, is just the practice of learning how to pay attention in the present moment non-judgmentally. And so we could do that as a moving meditation, yoga, or any other any other thing that there is, you know, that involves a felt physicality. Um, I believe, you know, and then not everyone would agree with me. Some would say that using music in any form is a distraction and uh, entertainment. It's not necessarily meditation. I, I don't agree. I think that. Anytime that we use our sensory system, it's being in the, it's practicing being in the present moment. So if I can pay attention to what I'm hearing, the sounds I'm hearing, what I'm smelling, what I'm tasting, what I'm feeling, all of those things are accessing the present moment. So I really I think that meditation can be anything that works for you. Awesome. Um, so the next thing I wanted to get into is your book, Embodied Posture, and maybe to kind of give like the cliff notes, what the book is about and who did you write it for and what's in it? Yeah. So, um, because we've been training teachers, yoga teachers since 2007, it, that was one of the really like practical, pragmatic, like if we look at, um, why did we write the book? We saw the need, a need for the book that there are plenty of yoga books, yoga anatomy books out there, but I felt like there wasn't this all-encompassing resource that gave a really strong foundational understanding of anatomy and biomechanics. So the book is actually like, it really, it's, it's like an anatomy and biomechanics textbook, but a really accessible one, one that helps people that just are at that basic level. I always say, like, if you're trying to learn about the body, or say, let's relate it to, like, um, 
a physician. You can't go in and start learning like these advanced surgical techniques if you don't have a really basic, strong understanding of anatomy. And so a lot of the yoga books out there, even today, some of the newer ones, I feel like they're these really advanced concepts that make a lot of sense to the author because they have a really strong foundational understanding of anatomy and biomechanics. And so what I, we saw was missing was that um, teachers didn't have a really strong basic understanding of anatomy and biomechanics. And so that's a, a, that was a big impetus for the book is just to be able to share with teachers, also practitioners, it's not just for teachers, but just share with them um, a way that we felt was really clear and easy to understand the body. And so that's the, that's the nuts and bolts of the book. But it really, um, if I can sidestep a little bit, it's an anatomy and biomechanics book, but it really relates back to what we were talking about earlier, um, this idea of mindfulness and how we access what, what one might call meditation or awareness in the present moment. What I'm passionate about is, you know, we're, as long as we're living, we have these things, these physical bodies, you know, we, we carry them around with us all the time. We're in them all the time. And so why not become experts of our own body? And as we become experts of our own body, well, the there is the most beautiful, most powerful tool for mindful awareness, learning how your body moves, learning how to navigate the sensory experience, which is another huge part of the book. I don't only give like the anatomy details of different postures, but I give what you might be sensing and feeling as far as the skeletal system and the muscular system. So in a long-winded answer, <laughs> that, that's why it's called embodied posture. So it's about embodiment, learning how to feel inside your body again. Yeah, like when I was um, reading about the book, I was like super excited and I'm like, I need to buy this book because like I love when yogis go above and beyond what they learn in their courses because I think that 200-hour course, it's what, 20 hours of anatomy knowledge or something like that? It's not much, yeah. yeah. It's just not much. And like with the yogis at um, my gym, like chatting with them, I like asked a couple like, oh, what would you do if, you know, I sent one of my clients who has like basically no knee flexion and terrible hip mobility and you give them a child's pose like what would be like a regression how would you adjust it and Mm -hmm. they almost didn't understand why that person Mm -hmm. would be like that and I'm like all right so there's kind of like a disconnect and when I see like you teaching other um, teachers like everything about posture anatomy and biomechanics I'm like yes I am so excited about this Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah I'm just that is my thing like I'm yeah me as well and and I see a lot of teachers lacking that and not to their fault because a lot of a lot of training a lot of schools don't spend a lot of time as you said I don't even know what the requirement exactly I should know the number since I have a yoga alliance accredited school but I don't know the number because I know we go way above and beyond what the anatomy requirement is. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of teachers, yoga teachers get stuck in this idea that, oh, it's this ancient practice and my goal is to teach enlightenment. So I need to teach, I need to stay up here, like off the ground and teach these things about spirituality. And my, my beef is, Hey, we're, we're beings living right here on the earth. We have these bodies learning to me, learning anatomy and biomechanics and learning how to be in the present moment through my body is all the spiritual experience that I need. And, and, and I think it's so relatable and so applicable to all everyone walking into our classes. 
And like I, any person I meet in the gym, like I always tell them, like you're an individual. Your anatomy is different yeah. than my anatomy. Like mm-hmm. if you've been sitting at a desk for 20 years straight, like you're gonna have some stuff going on. So when you go to a yoga class, like you want to know what you can do instead. If like something mm-hmm. doesn't feel right, or if you can't do this thing, so then you have mm-hmm. a good experience and you continue going to that class. Absolutely, yeah. Um, another question I would want to ask you is like when you do teach other yoga instructors, like what's the common question you get a lot and what's the one question you wished, um, yoga instructors would ask you? Hmm. So what's the one common question that teachers in training would ask a lot? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Um, I think that, um, like one of the questions that's present a lot with new teachers or teachers learning is what if I don't know, like, because I'm so big about teaching the body and teaching teachers to empower their students through understanding their own bodies, which requires to be in this sort of ongoing learning process, building competency as a teacher. And I I tell them, if you don't know, then be okay and confident with saying, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know the answer. And I, and, you do, and I tell them, like, and one of the students that I just, we recently had, had a training finish not too long ago, and we really had a strong conversation about this and them saying, I said, be in this process of always learning and building your competency, but be okay with saying, I don't know the answer to that. And one of the girls said, I love, I feel so free now. I feel so confident and free and that I don't have to be, you know, like the yoga Google source. Um, for to know everything, because I think that a lot of times it gets weird when a teacher someone wants to ask them something and they don't they lack the confidence to say I don't know, and instead things get weird. And I think that's in yoga or in any training fitness regime. Um, but that's one of the biggest things is like if be the more confident you are in what you know, the more confident you are in saying I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, like, I learned that early on, too, is, like, don't be scared to say, I don't know, but whatever the question is, like, research the crap out of it, because that that just gives you, like, the pathway of where to go to learn, because any question you get from a student, a client, or whatever, I'm like, that's your, like, guide of what you need to learn, because, like, those questions will pop up a lot, and then eventually you know them, and then you can start answering them completely but I also like tell any new trainer that meets me I'm like go beyond like fitness and health like go explore other avenues of fitness Mm -hmm. and like Mm -hmm. you know like for me this upcoming year I really want to focus on yoga because I find it so interesting and like your book is on my checklist to go read and like I even want to go through the 200 hour course myself just to see what it is like why not right mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's such a brilliant way to I mean whatever field you're in um, I think that we can get so confined with our understanding and even openness and you know we kind of stop learning once we once we feel like we know it and we're we're kind of in the bubble of our own field learning stops <laughs> in that moment but if we can stay open and, and that's why I'm I was so excited to talk to you today and like I just I love the intersection and um, the dialogue and because it just opens me up to seeing things differently when I talk to someone who's um, you know, not so in, this, in the same bubble at all as I am. So that, that's really, 
really powerful what you said. Oh, for sure. Um, so maybe for the last question, if people wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they find you online and where can they purchase your book and anything else you want to plug on my show, you can right now. Yeah. So I, my website is stacydawkins.com and that's S-T-A-C-Y-D-O-C-K-I-N-S.com. And there has, um, I have some blog posts and all of my upcoming events will be teaching all across um, this, the U.S. this year and in Costa Rica. And then uh, my social media, I guess, is a good way that I'm, I'm constantly sharing it, um, my Instagram, Texas. It's TX Yoga Stacy. And if you are interested in my book, it's available in paperback and in electronic format, and it's on Amazon. So if you just go to Amazon and search Embodied Posture, Your Unique Body in Yoga, it will pop up. And I think that's plenty. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 259. Hopefully you enjoyed it. I want to thank every single one of you for listening to my show, from all the new people to all the people who have been with me since day one. Thank you, thank you so much. I am so humbled to have you listening to my show. If you have any feedback or requests for guests, let me know. I will try to get them on to my show. Remember to share this podcast. we got to grow this thing, you guys. Let's share, 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 share this podcast. Give me five stars. Subscribe on YouTube. Actually, not YouTube. What am I talking about? iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud. So then you get a little notification every time I have a new episode. Um, Yeah, that's it for me, you guys. Happy Wednesday. Crush the rest of this week. And I'm going to continue giving you the best fitness and health advice on the planet.